Good evening, everybody. We're so glad you're here tonight. Welcome online as well. I see we've already got a crowd gathering online as well. We're glad you're here. There's a couple of things as we get together. This is Lighthouse Community Church in Costa Mesa, and we are in week two of our study of the book of Revelation. Probably one of the toughest books to talk about, and everybody calls me brave, but I, the rest of my family just thinks I'm a little crazy, but that's okay. Because we already know that's true. So here's what's going on. We're going to be looking at this from the standpoint of, and how I'm going to present it is this. I'm going to be sharing the historical and the cultural context of the letter as it was written from Apostle John on the island of Patmos. That means that I am not trying to, and I need to share this with you, I'm not trying to tell you my interpretation of this book. I'm not trying to share with you my ideas and make you change your mind of anything you're thinking. What I am trying to share with you today is this, and in the coming weeks on Wednesday nights, it will always be the cultural and the historical context to help us understand some of the apocalyptic literature, the symbols, the images, the, a lot of the things that they shared in those days, the people who received these letters would have understand, would have understood. And the way that they understood them was because they grew up hearing the stories from the Old Testament. Much of the time in this book, John goes and relates back to the Old Testament, as we're even going to see in tonight's uh, group as we look at tonight's message. Now, I'm going, not going to go over Eric's sermon, Pastor Eric's sermon from last Sunday, all the way like I did last week. That was setting a foundation. So tonight, if you have not seen last Sunday's presentation from Pastor Eric, you may want to at some time go and see that. You can watch this first, that first, however. This stays online. It will stay at a recording so that you will always be able to see it. So I'm just sharing with you that you are able to at any time revert to both of the sermon on Sunday and uh, tonight's messages, all, all the Wednesday messages. We will keep those in the library. And I'm hoping that that helps you to understand a little bit about how we're going to work. Tonight it's going to be a little bit different. Last week was the first one, and I shared basically a whole lot of information. And I've heard from several people that it might have been a little bit, but that's because Bill gets too excited in sharing this book. I just do. And even my wife says, Bill, you took a shotgun and blasted them with a whole lot of material in one week. And I said, that's because I have the smartest congregation in the country. I don't know what they're trying to understand. So we will be slowing it down a little bit. I am going to give some time for life groups tonight. I would like that if you are in your life groups, your signs were out there, and hopefully you were able to gather again in your life groups. And that way, when we're getting towards the end tonight, you're going to be able to see and share with each other some of the questions that you have notes for. So some of the sermon notes, there's a piece of paper that says sermon notes on it. And if you have that page, um, it'll look something like this. And that page is the one that is, uh, I'm going to relate to just because it has what we call the homeward questions. And these are the questions for the life groups. That's what they're for. And we're going to go through those a little bit later. Also, then you should have another handout that shows and says that it's, it looks like it has two triangles on it. And I'm going to talk about these triangles in a little bit, so I will be sharing that with you as well. But it looks like a sheet of paper like this. Hopefully online you were able to pull those up because I know Mark Strachan's working very hard to make sure everybody has those notes. So that's a great thing. So we're going to get into this, but before we start, I always like to open up with the word of prayer and ask God to take this over. He knows way more than I do about what I need to share. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, tonight we just gather in this place and, and online and, and for such a time as this. We ask, oh God, that as we open your word, that you would give the message to us and make it clear that our hearts and our minds would be open to hearing your words and what you would have us hear this night. Father, I thank you for every person that's watching online, for all the families. I thank you for everybody who's here in with me tonight in the sanctuary. And Father, I just ask that you bless them, give them strength, be with them, hear their prayer requests, God, and, and just touch everyone who's following this study. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start first by, I just want to share a couple of things real quick. 
Um, when we get ready to do this study together every night, what I'm hoping is that each one of you will take the time and realize what portion of scripture we're going to, to be working from and that you will read it a couple of times for yourself. So like tonight, as we're working with um, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, because that is what we went through in church and here at Lighthouse last Sunday. So I'm going to give you some of that. I'm going to share with you a couple of information, uh, dots of information on the words of prophecy and a bit, little bit about apocalyptic literature, because that's something we need to understand very well. So let's, let's go ahead and begin with that. I want to start with reading the scriptures, because I think that, that we need to hear this. So I'm starting in actually in verse 8. Um, in the first chapter and so join along with me if you can and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich Ooh, and slander and the slander of those that say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan do not fear what you <laughs> do. This is amazing. Do not fear. I'm getting excited as I'm reading it because I'm all the translations coming into my head. So I apologize. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested that for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear the spirit of the says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You see, here's the thing about what we're going through in this. When we look at how God addresses to the churches, we're going to be looking at some of the phrasing that he shares. And I'm, I need to turn this because this is confusing me. There we go. We, it, it is how that we, we hear it one way. And the people who receive this letter hear it another. Because I want to share with you the very first phrase of this. And I think Eric touched on this a little bit. And we're going to get into it. Because in, in verse 8, he says, Until the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. There's a specific reason he says it that way. You see, Smyrna was a city that is, is held up as one of the best in, the, in all of Asia. It's the number one. It has a number one. And they like that. But it had been destroyed several times. The city of Smyrna was brought down, destroyed a couple of times, and then came back. So as we look at these phrasings that Jesus gives to John in this, hopefully we're going to start to understand a little bit of how they were hearing his words. So that's the amazing part, okay? Um, so if you're looking at your sermon notes there, I would like to go through that real quick part of top. It says, Eric likened between likened living between Jesus' first and second coming to the people living in enemy territory between D-Day and V-Day. On D-Day, when the Allies marched into, onto the beaches, Omaha in Normandy, Omaha, Utah, and all those beaches, that was the first sign of any hope that was going to come to a world that was living under Nazi Germany's very strict hand much like what was going on in the city of smyrna v-day then the victory day is the day that we all look forward to when we actually get relieved of this jesus is here he's come back and all of the things that it talks about at the end of this book that we're studying is going to be there so when we get to the point of trying to hear what they are what they understand in the city of smyrna Please know and, and hear me when I say to you, it is hard. It's, it's almost impossible to look at the book of Revelation without understanding historical context and cultural context. Does everybody understand the word context? Does that make sense? In other words, I want to say what was going on with the people on the mainland in Asia Minor that was receiving this letter we need to know what they were going through and not only culturally because in their cultures they were having some issues but also historically historically domitian the emperor he was a very evil man and he was torturing christians 
And I read somewhere that one of the, one of the statistics they came close to figuring out as close as they could, he killed over 40,000 Christians during his reign. That's quite amazing when you think about it. So I know that in this present time, we feel like we're being persecuted. Nothing compared to what was going on in Asia Minor in the first in the second century. So if you're looking at your notes right now with the two triangles, here's what I'd like to ask you to do to look at really quick. Number one there, it's original setting and purpose. Most of Revelation's imagery has its purpose in the crisis at hand for the believers to whom John wrote this letter. So the people in the city of Smyrna, as they're hearing these words and they're trying to understand what it means that they're going to be put in prison, they're going to do this, they're already experiencing this. They know that it's happening because they know what's going on with the emperor and his people. They also know that as Christians, there's people in the marketplace. If they have businesses there, the people in the marketplace treat them differently because they don't owe their they don't give their allegiance to Caesar. Because one of the things that Domitian wanted from everybody in Asia Minor he set up shrines so that when you walked into a town, you took a pinch of incense and you threw it into the fire and said, Caesar is Lord. He declared himself the same as God, same as Jesus. And he wanted to make sure that every person that lived there did that. The reason that John is on the island of Patmos, once again, is because John said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um... I think that I mean, if I did a pinch of incense, I would walk up and say, Jesus is Lord, and throw that in there. Now, that's going to make him a pretty big enemy of the state. At that point, they said, well, we can't kill him because we don't need him to be a martyr. So we're going to put him on this rock quarry where he can bang out rocks for gravel so that we can make more of our temples and pylons and things for us. But what they didn't count on was the way that John was going to start writing these scrolls. Last week, I talked about a code, and that really confused a lot of people. Let me share a different word with you. A message in a language that the people who would receive the letters could understand. There was eight Romans between when John finished writing his scrolls, as he finished writing them, there was eight people that he rolled them up. There was eight people going to take that scroll open it up and read it, even with John's seal on it. He put his seal on there, but they opened it up anyways because they were not going to let him send out any information that was going to say anything bad about Caesar. So they looked at these scrolls and thought, okay, this is, I don't understand this. I know your tribulation, your poverty, the Jews are not, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about, this is the ravings of a lunatic. So phew, roll the letter up, go ahead, send it to the mainland. It's fine. And every letter and everything that John wrote was under that scrutiny. And I'm talking about the Gospel of John. I'm talking about all of the things that are in his three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Everything that he wrote while he was on Patmos, all of that stuff was under that scrutiny. So when I talk about a code, I'm, I want you to understand. Here's what, here, now here is something that I do believe, and I'm going to share that with you. I believe that when Jesus Christ came down, gave John this revelation, and told him, because he says it's the apocalypse, that's the other word for the word revelation, is the apocalypse. That's why where we get this word from. Apocalypse meaning the unveiling or the opening. That's what it's about. It's an opening and an unveiling and a, and a message that's to be given. When Jesus gave this to John, he knew, Jesus knows all, he knew that those eight guys were going to read this. He also knew you know, he was like, he was up there saying, go ahead, let them read it. They're not going to understand it. But when my children get these letters, my children are going to understand it. Because what the Roman soldiers didn't have, unless they accepted Jesus as Lord, was the comforter, right? We know that he gave us the great comforter. So when they read the scriptures and they read these scrolls, they understood that. So when I talked about a code last week, what I was trying to say was there was a way that God was going to make sure that those people on Asia Minor mainland 
understood and heard how much God loved them, his compassion for them, and helped them to gain strength to live through the persecution and all of the stuff that they were going through. And I hope that clears that up a little bit because I didn't want people to think I was talking about some Da Vinci Code or something like that. That was not it. The code that I'm talking about is the way that God would make sure that his people understood his word. And that's what we're talking about here tonight. So it's a way to form the message in a language that people will understand. And I'm hoping that's becoming very clear because that's what I want you to hear. So let's look at our notes again with the triangles on them. On B there it says, we cannot work to understand revelation without understanding the historical context when written. And I would put on there, and the guy that wrote this note should have put on, that was me by the way, the guy should have put on there the historical and the cultural context because both of those two things, whenever you're doing any Bible study, understanding historical and cultural context is going to make it so much easier to understand the message that God has given us in his word. It always has and it always will. You will hear everybody who teaches the Bible online, offline, at churches, you will always hear the pastor say, we need to understand the context. Context is everything in Bible study, and so that's what we want to understand. Now, let's look at some of that bold writing on that page. It says, Revelation is not a book of prophetic clues waiting to be discovered by present-day prophecy seekers, no matter how intelligent or well-intentioned. One of the words about, and I'm going to, when I deal with these two diagrams that you see, we'll get to that in just a second. But I'm hoping that you understand that the, when, you, when you understand that the prophetic clues lead to one thing, the word prophecy. So I'm hoping that tonight as you get into your life groups, even at home if you wanted to know, let's understand that word prophecy. I don't know when you think about it, but, but can somebody tell me, and please, this is the answer I need to hear from you. I want to, when you hear the word prophecy, what are you thinking? Tell me what you're thinking. Go ahead, shout it out. I can hear you. Say it again. What's going to happen? Okay, that is one of five definitions of the word prophecy. See, there's prophecy that was what we call pre-exilic. In other words, when the, when the Israelites were in exile in Egypt, there was a group of prophets that were part of that trying to tell them what it took to, to stay alive in Egypt. One of the men said, oh, we can't make the bricks out of this. Why, can't we, why won't they give us straw to make the bricks out of the things? And a prophet came to them and said, quit your complaining and, and Pharaoh will do that. That was what we call one of the Egyptian prophets. Then you come on and then there's another group of prophets and people who called themselves prophets after the exile, when they got into Israel, who not necessarily said things like, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is going to happen. And there's a couple of ways that we start to learn the differences in the word prophecy that I'm hoping that we'll get to understand better as we go through this book. Because there are a couple of ways that will help you to understand when a, prof a prophetic word is given in the Bible concerning future events, or when he is relating his, as a prophet, he's trying to tell them, you are going through this right now. Let me help you understand what the word of the Lord is concerning your strength, encouragement, and how much God loves you. Not every prophetic word given is going to be about the future. And that's what he's saying here. And by the way, these quotes are from some scholars. And I will, I will make sure that I give credit. And I didn't put that on here. But these quotes that I have right here are not always from mine. I have been studying this stuff a long time and have used a lot of material from a lot of men around the world that I respect. And so when I share some of these thoughts with you, it's stuff that I picked up somewhere to say, you know what, there's a very well-known scholar. One of the guys, he, he is from Manchester, England, Dr. John Feckus, a very, one of my best friends and a very incredible man who's written some amazing books on the book of Revelation. And when he says, no matter how well-intentioned or intelligent, all of us who teach the word of God can look at you and say, please know we do not know everything. I don't know of any pastor, teacher, Bible scholar that stood up before and said, I know everything about the word of God there is to know. If he does, please don't stand around him. Things might happen. So 
No, at no time do you understand, do I claim to know everything, but I am again sharing you information that I have learned from scholars who are far above my pay grade and understand it a lot better than I do, but it is information that I think because I love and care about you so much that I want you to be able to handle. Okay, next one. When you start looking at Revelation through the eyes of the first century believer, struggling to maintain their faith and family in a time of intense struggle, much of the mystery of this book disappears. I want to illustrate that through the difference between these two approaches. Okay? And I believe on this side, if it's true, I think this is the side that has the historical approach. Correct? Is that what it says underneath? Okay, if you look at those triangles, you'll see some lines with an F. And the F stands for future historians. Those that look to the future, that think that the word prophecy is everything about the future. I'm hoping that you will understand and know that when you look at this, the, the historical approach, how, how most historians look at this, if that triangle is all of prophecy that comes out, this top little piece is all of the prophetic for the future words that have come out. That most of what is prophetic given according to the historical approach is a very small part future and a whole lot more of what's going on right now at the present time. And that's what this is about. This is more about the historical approach to it and those that believe and understand it. Now, last week you heard me mention a couple of movies, and uh, please forgive me for breaking the hearts of those who love the series, um, because yes, I know that. I found the movies very entertaining. I'm not going to say them again and insult the people. I'm not going to do that again, because I already did it, and I got myself in trouble. So what I'm going to share with you is this. This futurist approach is more like the movies that you see, the way we've been taught. And here's the thing. This, this approach has only been around for 100 years. So think about that. Since the 1900s, well, 1887, so there you go. You can go from 1887 on. That's when this was all first talked about. And see, if you'll notice, the futurist approach is all about prophecy being the future. It's all about the future. When biblical historians and people who look back at the cultural and the historical context of this book realize a little tiny part is about the future, but most of about what's going on with those people in Asia Minor. And I'm hoping that this helps to, to give a better picture of the words prophecy. Because as you look up, if you were to take go home, and we can do this very much now, we can go home and we can punch up on Google and say, oh, what is prophecy? They will bring you up, it will be pages and pages of definitions of the word prophecy. There's even a, a separate division for biblical prophecy. And then in that biblical prophecy, it's going to talk to you about the Septuagint or the Old Testament prophecy. And then it's going to talk about the New Testament prophecies. You see, in this understanding prophecy in the book of Revelation means that we have to understand it in a way that they did in order to do that. For us to assume that they all are from, you know, the, ninth, you know, the last hundred years to understand this approach, then they would be um, looking at us like we had lost our minds. How can that be? So that's, I just want you to know that those are the two ways that we're going to look at. So we'll be looking, for myself, I will be looking at it from this approach. I will always be looking at prophecy from the historical approach because I want to understand what the people of all the seven churches and everybody who received this letter, I would like to know what they thought. And, and does anybody else on that page, I mean, wouldn't you like to know what they thought when they got this? Because think about it. If we understand what they thought and how they were encouraged and they were strengthened, then maybe we can apply that to some of the issues that we're going through, especially for us here in America in the last two years. I mean, it has not been easy. I have prayed with more families. I've had to do funerals. I've had to do all kinds of encouragement to get with families to say, I know, guys, it's hard. Let's hold on. God is still faithful. God is still in control. 
How hard would it have been realizing that there are soldiers marching down your street in one of these cities ready to take anybody that they know calls on the name of Jesus to the lion's den or to be have their heads put on posts in front of you know the Colosseums. I mean those were some pretty horrific times and yet we're trying to tell them please understand and know God is in control. How hard would that be to believe? That would be a tough one. Even for the most faithful believer, it's hard to understand where that goes. When we start getting into some of the other churches, you're going to see how the enemy wants to battle for your mind. That's coming up soon, too, in a couple of weeks. So let's, let me see if I can break down this historical approach and the futurist approach a little bit better for you. Um, underneath those triangles, you'll see, then he told me, John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near, right? Revelation 22.10. That's what he told him. Now, if you look at the futurist approach from the book of Daniel, because it wasn't time, Daniel was in a completely different time. He says, Daniel, but you, Daniel, close up, seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. See, when, whenever God gives a message, Whenever God deals with you in a manner and you feel like, I think that was God's blessing. I think God's trying to tell me something. I think I need to hear the word of the Lord in this. All of a sudden you think, it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. It didn't happen the way I felt it should. Remember, God's answer is not always no. God's answer is wait. Sometimes. For Daniel... When Daniel was giving his dreams, um, the interpretations of the dreams to Nebuchadnezzar, when he was giving those things to him, it could have been, this may not happen today or tomorrow, but it's coming soon. And those poor Christians, or the, the I'm sorry, not Christians, but the believers of Israel, the, the God of Jehovah would have said, yeah, but we're in exile. The Assyrians, they've taken over for us. We're, we're in big trouble. The Babylon has just taken over for us. What do we do now? And for Daniel to be able to say, God's, it's not that God is not answering your prayers. He is answering them. But the time is not correct. So timing is everything when you're looking to hear from the word of the Lord. So please understand how that works. Now, at the bottom of this page, you're going to see how the persecution came to these churches from all the different ways. And I'm not going to read all of those scriptures, but they're there for, the, for you to be able to read at home and take home and, and look at this a little bit. So there was conflicts between the church and the synagogues. Because the synagogues were upset because they were not calling on the Lord God Jehovah of uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament God. They were calling on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the synagogue was having a problem with the Christians. Then it became conflicts between church and society. You know what? Don't go buy from this merchant because we know that he does not. He's a Christian. He calls on the name of that Nazarene Jesus Whenever he has anything, he prays to Jesus of Nazareth. He is that. So we're not going to buy his goods. We're going to make sure that nobody purchases from him. Maybe his family, he and his family will leave. They were going through all of that kind of thing in society. Now the big conflict was between church and state. Because let's think about this. My political leader is not the Lord. My political leader is not the king. When I go to worship, I don't worship an emperor, a king. I'm refraining from saying other words as we live in the United States, but I'm sure you understand my point. We're trying not to say we worship this individual or that individual. Who we worship is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of kings. He is the one who one day will release me from all of this that I am going through now. So please understand, when we look at prophecy, biblical prophecy, we want to understand which approach we want to understand it from. And if you'd like to see this futurist approach, it is in that you can look up all you want to on the internet. There's thousands and thousands of ways that you can understand how that's going to work. So when we look at those notes, we, we have a small bit of 
I see what time it is. And that we see what, uh, these small bit of notes are about as much as I'm going to give you tonight. Yes, I had a whole other page on the back before I took it out because I would rather you think about the words of prophecy because we're going to get to something else here in just a minute. Now, on the page that has what we call the sermon notes from last Sunday for everybody, there was some back there if you don't have them, but it looks like that, okay? There's some very important questions that Eric, myself, Pastor Jeff, we all look at and we try to come up with the questions that would kind of stir you to help you to understand a way to look at these scriptures. And so that's what these notes are for. This is called what we call the home word. Home word means that you're, you're looking at this at home and you're, and you're understanding this is something we can look at separately from Sunday. Because on a Sunday morning in the 45 minutes or so that we get to, to speak to you in, the, in a corporate setting like this, we don't have enough time to give you all of the information we want to. Wednesday nights, Bill has a certain amount of time that he can share this information with you as well. And no, we don't want to spend the night here because trust me, Bill has enough words where we could, yeah. My family will tell you, he can talk all night long. Trust us, guys. We, we will know he can make you do that. So what we're trying to do is give you enough to be able to go home, chew on it for a little bit, think about it a little bit, help it, let it understand and come to your heart. Help it to help you know and get closer to the living God. That's the deal. You want to be encouraged. You want to be strengthened. You want to be lifted up in the Lord. Let these words sink. Let them come in. If you have to do it a verse at a time on each day, do it a verse at a time. I love the people that say, oh, I read the book, the Gospel of John this morning as I was having breakfast. Well, that's pretty good. There's only 21 chapters in there, so I don't know how you did that, but that's pretty amazing to me. And then the other people say, you know, I was reading a verse and it meant so much to me. My whole heart was just blessed. And everything. To me, that's it. Let us find out. Read what you can. Read what you need. Read what helps you the most. And everybody says, which translation? You use the translation that blesses your heart. Let's make it real simple. Okay. Use the translation. There are some that are written as novels. There are some that are written for study Bibles. Yes, and, and everything in between. Choose the Bible. Choose the translation that blesses your heart. All those words make God smile. When you read them and they bless your heart, that makes God smile. And he stands before you and he just says, yeah, just keep reading that. That's okay. You know, hopefully you're not doing it while you're driving. That's a bad time. Just so you know. Please do it when you're at home, not behind the wheel of a car. Now, however, you can listen to it. So I understand how that works. All right, so let's look at some of these questions. I read the scripture. So here's what we want to know. And in your small group time and in the time at home, and if, as you're looking at home, if you want to send me a question, I have my computer here, and I'll be able to see your questions. And while they're looking, I will be working with it here and answering some of your questions as well. So please feel free to send those questions in um, as you're thinking about some of these that I have with you. So the first one there says, what's significant about where John sees Jesus? There's something very important about where John sees Jesus. Talk about that. When you talk about it, please say, here's what, how it makes me feel when I read that. That's what we want to know, okay? What does his location communicate to people who feel under pressure and all alone? That's a great question. Love that one. Compare John's vision to Daniel's vision uh, in Daniel 7, 9 through 14. If you have your scripture, have somebody in the small group read that so that you understand the, the, the words of Daniel in the seventh chapter. Now, in what ways does John's description of Jesus echo Daniel's description of God? Great study right there. You can spend all night just on that one. It's great. Um, what aspects of John's description of Jesus stand out to you? See, as you look at all of these, these questions, I would like for you to, to read. If you don't get through all of them, that is okay. It's okay if you don't get to all of them tonight. But the key is that you take them home and look at these during the week. Chew on them during the week because in that way, you'll be able to have the word of God coming into your heart all week long. Even when the crazy people around you do all the stuff that they do, and some of those, yes, are your children, just saying. We still understand that God is with us in all of those things. So here's what I would like to do at this point in time. 
Right now, I would like for you to take out, gather up in groups. If you don't have a life group, for the three of you, if you will turn around to those people right behind you, that would be great. And share with Paul and Ken. So that would be great. So, but share with those around you. Talk, sit down with a group. If you don't have your group here, then go join one. Sit down and do that. If you're at home and you have questions and you're discussing it with your family members around whatever you're doing, then we're going to turn off the, uh, we're going to keep the, um, the stream going until about 8 o'clock, at which time then I will come back on and say thank you for watching and we'll close it down. But that'll give you about 20 minutes to give me some questions and some answers. I'm hopefully will be forthcoming. I love the fact that there is a question already here. Okay, so I will be dealing with that. But as you, all of you are in this group, please get around and get into small groups and you're just right around where you are. And as you join with the people, ask these questions that are on these notes. And don't be afraid to write them down. Remember, in your notebooks, you still have some blank paper as well. And I'm hoping that you're able to use that. But go ahead and take some time to look through these notes. Um, if you in this room, if one of your group has a question, you raise your hand and I'll come over to the group. Okay, I can leave the camera. Trust me, I'm not one of those that has to be in front of the camera all the time. The camera will be more blessed, but that's beside the point. Rachel, don't laugh. So we're going to make sure and see that we um, get together as groups and, and be able to talk to each other. Okay, ready, go. So go ahead and enjoy yourself.
Hey, Mark. Uh, Wendy Lease is asking about um, the questions, getting the online questions on the website or online. Would you answer her, please? I did. Thank you. The message notes are posted online on the Sunday message.
Great. I have one more thing to share with you. Stay in your groups here in the, in the, because we're going to continue this in just a little bit more time. But I'm going to share a couple of things with you while we're still on stream. And then I'm going to, we'll shut off the stream and then you guys can keep with your, your groups until um, 8.30. And that's how we'll, we'll finish the evening. So I'm hoping that you'll stay with me. I have a good friend who basically um, understood and, and heard like I said, he was, he was he's one who's written great books, but he wrote an apocalypse, what we call an unveiling, much like what uh, you read in the book of Daniel. I, I, I saw some of you reading the book of Daniel with some of the apocalypse and some of the, the words that he had written there. So I would share something with you and then tell me if that you understand. This is what we call an apocalypse. Johnny calls this an apocalypse on a modern day event. This was written in 2019. So as you hear this, I would hope that you would be able to identify what he is talking about because most of us have lived through this apocalyptic event. So let me share this. Um, the, the other crucial observation to take away from the examples of Jewish and Christian apocalypses is the fact that they are all inspired by and revolve around events in their own day as opposed to the distant future. If there is any prediction um, involved, they're eschatology, eschatological, that means they're, um, Jesus is coming, um, horizon is typically limited to the near future and the resolution of conflicts which they themselves and their readers are facing today. To understand the distance we face as modern readers and interpreters, it is helpful to illustrate this by taking a modern event which we are all familiar with and putting it into the form of an apocalyptic vision. And this is Johnny's vision. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. On the island of Manhattan. And behold, I saw in my vision a great brown beast. With crescent horns rising out of the sand. And from the hands. From its hands as if released into the sky. Four great silver birds of prey. Breathing smoke and fire. I continued to watch as one of the birds landed and began to devour another beast with four horns and five faces. After this, I looked and saw as two of the birds flapped their powerful wings, struck into two great towers of made of glass, steel, and concrete. Fire shot forth from their mouths and devoured the towers and all of those who dwelt in them. And all of the inhabitants of the earth were astonished at the great brown beast and its power. Anybody tell me the event? Say it louder. Twin Towers and 9-11. But you see, this is how apocalypses work. So as we read through these apocalypses, that is exactly how the apocalyptic events that are going to take place in the next 20 chapters that we read just as you understood this one, that's how they would have understood those coming up. I could not explain it any better than what Johnny did right there. Because he says the main thing is to recognize the overall event, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. But with a little thought, this calls for wisdom from Revelation 13, 18, 17, and 9. One could figure out most of the details with little effort, the crescent as the symbol of Islam. The five faces of the Pentagon. The four horns being the four branches of the military who were affected by what happened on that day. Now images, 2,000 years. Now Im imagine 2,000 years have gone by and who knows how many catastrophic events have taken place in history. Will later readers of this vision get it right away? Some people today would already be clueless about a vision which included a yellow star of David, a swastika, jackboots, and people being rounded up in cattle cars. But some of you might remember those days. But for John's readers, the symbols often represent something very real in their lived experience. Of course, there's a bit of caricature in the vision report with similarities to modern political cartoons, which is an apt analogy. But there is little reason to think that John's readers and hearers would have been scratching their heads and saying, 
I wonder on earth what is John talking about. It is very simple for us who lived through those days in 2001 to hear those words and understand it. My great-grandchildren will have a hard time with it because they didn't live through it. They can read through the books just like we have here. But how more effective is it that we hear those words and we can remember that day? Almost, we almost remember where we were sitting. How many of you remember where you were sitting when you saw that first plane? See, yeah, it's everybody in here. I'm sure online as well. So please understand and know, as we go through this book, I will be sharing with you cultural context, historical context, prophecy from that view of the days of that, of the events of that day, as well as some of the, the, the interpretations that were given by history of the apocalyptic events mentioned in this book. For those of you online, I want to say thank you for being here with us. It has been a wonderful hour. I'm going to continue to allow the groups that are here to study more. If you, I am still on my computer. If you're online and you still have questions, please feel free to send them in to me or you can send your questions to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and we will answer them. We had several of them today that we had to send emails back to them. So if you feel like you have other questions that come on even during the week, please feel free at any time during the week to send them to us. God bless you all and I'm glad that you were here. May you have a blessing and we will hope to see you here again on Sunday when we gather all together in this place at 10 a.m. God bless.